we are by nature problem solvers and we need to deal with that next thing that next problem that next issue which might be the next fiscal year's budget or what have you we can't solve the the future we can't solve the trends that may be coming our way or may not instead we have to explore them and say what might that mean we know there's an enrollment cliff coming what does that pretend for Rutgers University or regional universities or private liberal arts colleges it's planting a seed that will germinate the other side of this which is terrible in higher education and, and noticed in my career is you know the fear of failure and a typical unwillingness to risk failing on a, a germinating idea because it might look bad or feel bad recognizing that in all advancement we have to try things and fail on them and learn from them to advance you know, we're we're pretty risk adverse well, our guest today is Mike Gower, Executive Vice President for Finance and Administration and University Treasurer for Rutgers University and longtime friend of this show. Mike is doing some great work with his leadership team to develop some new muscles. Now, these are the muscles that help the team explore the uncertain more confidently, the muscles that help leaders ask better questions. In this week's show, Mike sits down with Howard Teibel to talk through some of the important work that they are doing, not just so the current team is more adaptable and ready for anything, but so that future finance and administrative leaders and their future president have an agile foundation that they can trust, so they too are ready for anything. And now, Mike Gower and Howard Teibel. Thank you, Pete. And welcome back, Mike Gower. It has been way too long. Thank you, Mr. Tybal. It has been way too long. You and I just recently talked that you came back from a program at EAB looking at the student of the future and engaging a cross-section of different functional roles at universities. Tell us a little bit about that program as a way to dive into this conversation about uh, where we're going to put our focus as we look forward. Well, it was fascinating, and and I was really intrigued by by the concept of of really multidisciplinary and uh, administrators talking about the student in the future, um, because that's something I've been thinking a lot about here at Rutgers and in, in general. Not like any meeting that I've ever been to before in terms of that cross section of provosts and enrollment management people and executive education people and uh, a few token CFOs like me, you know, who got sprinkled in there. Um, But really looking at some trends, possibilities uh, that that could be happening, things like subscription learning, uh, things like tighter linkages into communities um, in terms of needs and 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 the relationship between higher education institution and their community, high touch types of relationships, more personalized education paths, discussion around adult learners. It, it was very wide ranging, and and what uh, we were able to do was to react to ideas about what what sounded good, what made sense, what was implausible, what would be 
three years in the future? What could be 10 years in the future? Uh, yeah, beautiful. That sort of thing. And and a lot of it just came back to the fact that we have to be thinking about more than next year. We have to be thinking more than the year after that. What I really love about what you said, Mike, is this nature that we need to look beyond uh, short term or the next budget cycle. And there is a need to keep looking at the next, next budget cycle because we're oriented around enrollment and that typical cycle. However, what does it mean to be thinking beyond the, the roles that we play, right? So this idea that instead of thinking about wanting to see these things in place in our lifetime or while we're in this role, that we look 10 years out, we might not be in these roles and we're setting up the next generation of, of leaders to be effective with this emerging student. Well, this is where it is, it is difficult for people in, in my position to work. And what I mean by that, we've had this, you've talked about this on your podcast before. We've talked about it in work that we've done together about how we are by nature problem solvers. Yes. And we need to deal with that next thing, that next problem, that next issue, which might be the next fiscal year's budget or, or what have you. But we can't solve the, the future. We can't solve the trends that may be coming our way or may not. Uh, but instead, we have to explore them and say, okay, what, what might that mean? So we know there's an enrollment cliff coming. What does that portend for Rutgers University or regional universities or private liberal arts colleges, uh, et cetera, et cetera? We don't know. We can look at different possibilities. We can look at different um, potentials. And then we can go positive and say, well, what, what would we like to do? What do we think we should do? Not just in a reactive mode to some upcoming problem or crisis, but instead, what do we want to do to continue to grow as an institution? really to take advantage of and reflect also the big changes that have come because of technology and the different ways of learning and how millennials approach education and how employers approach uh, employees. And, and all of those things are things that are not in that next problem to solve, but instead something that's three years out or five years out. But, but, if we don't look at them now or be thinking about them, it'll sneak up on us and then we'll be in, we'll be in a problem. You know, you started off by saying just now, this is a challenge for us. And, and when you say for us, you're speaking for leaders who are either at the executive system level that oversee multiple campuses or uh, leaders of finance administration and academics that work uh, in the private university and college systems where there needs to be a commitment in a certain way first, and and not even go so far as to say a commitment, meaning a declaration that we're going to learn how to be in strategic conversations. This has been in the background for many years as people say, we need to be more strategic. Well, what does that actually mean? And it fundamentally means that we have the capacity to engage in conversations around why we want to get something done, uh, 
not how or what we're going to do. And that is particularly difficult. But you're making progress in that area, in the work that you're doing and and the people that you're bringing together. Talk a little bit about why you're doing that and how you've gone about taking the steps to get people to lift out of the everyday and start thinking longer term. So why am I doing that? I'm, I'm doing it because I think not only do we have to do it, but we should do it. And what I mean by that is have to do deals with what is the environment going to throw at us? What are the issues that are going to face us? What are the the challenges we have? But what should we do is what do we want to strive to be as uh, as the, the modern uh, public institution? Um, what do we want to be in terms of our current students or potential students or our alums or how we contribute to uh, scholarship or research, how we contribute to other things in the state. I'd much rather be on the should do because it's important to us in advancing our mission than the have to do. And, And that, again, means getting out of the mindset of what is the problem I have to solve today. So try to engage uh, my my immediate set of, of colleagues, and those are the ones who are involved in one way or another with the, all the business functions of the institution. So um, I'm I'm the uh, corporate CFO, if you will, Rutgers University in total as the state university, but uh, we have four campuses or chancellor units, as they're called. Uh, and each of those has a CFO, and those people are aligned with me um, and with the rest of my finance team. And then there are a few other players that are important in that, that are part of it. And we've been spending time lately, with your help, to talk about uh, how, do we, how do we look past what's right in front of us, how we look past that problem. And and not just for our own sake, because uh, while the business officer needs to have a strategic voice at the t- table, we have to recognize it's the academic leadership that is really uh, driving the mission. We, we have to help it along. We have to support it. We're not the front line. We support the front line. But that doesn't mean we have to take a back seat in the conversation. And, and where that back seat history comes from is this historical notion of the the nature of the work that you bring is support. If you think about what we think about support, the support functions, this has been around for many years and I think it's still in the background. And support means that you are, are in a sense, um, delegating the responsibility and authority to somebody else and then your job is just to support. And I'm not saying that isn't true. You know, student affairs has uh, massive important support functions to the academic side, but they also serve to move conversations forward. The the business officer uh, at institutions uh, overseeing finance and administration has optics into information and data that would allow for the right kind of conversations to move forward. But I think that the, the history is the leaders that are in those positions don't see themselves as 
being responsible for convening larger conversations. We, we, we wait for the chancellor to say, this is what we want to do. We, we wait for our presidents or boards to direct us. And I think what you're taking on is let's find a way to develop skills with, within our leadership, the senior leadership team, the budget leadership team that is responsible for all four campuses to start learning how to convene conversations. I've seen this team go from skepticism to engagement. And it's not a trivial thing. It's been out of your commitment to move this conversation forward. I want to redefine what support the academic mission means. Um, and and it, it doesn't have to be passive. It can be uh, proactive. It can be um, something we directly contribute to. Uh, the IT example is a very good one. When uh, Michelle Noren, our wonderful chief information officer, convened the deans uh, to talk about what should the um, Rutgers information technology model really look like. As with many institutions, there's a significant amount of IT in the field. It's typically gotten there for good reasons because the central wasn't doing something or wasn't doing it fast enough or there was a specialized need or, but, and sometimes it was because of control and territory. Um, some of that, but not as, not as much. But nonetheless, uh, it, it, it means there's a bunch of different paddles in the water that are maybe going in different directions um, and not really moving forward. But to have intensive conversations that say, well, what if we were better aligned? What if we looked and identified the redundancies that existed? What if we uh, sharpened the focus to say, what are the things that matter the most to the missions uh, in terms of that, that function? Then we can progress in a, in a much better way. Her initial conversations, which were well supported by the deans, uh, then turned into um, getting the real data, a study that was pretty intensive and took a while to say, well, let's go beyond anecdote and let's go to uh, real information. And, and we're now in a position to have understanding of what does distributed IT look like and how does it compare to central IT and where are there opportunities? When we're in this and we see engagement like this produces maybe a first time ever conversation, why do you think we are challenged to step into saying, all right, let's really make room for doing this more broadly? Uh, you know, if you put yourself in the shoes of other chief business officers or people at the senior levels uh, that are at the, at the cabinet level who have the authority to make these decisions. What do you think holds people back to do these things? It's hard. What's hard about it? It's hard because we're not used to having those open conversations, mm. not used to having those honest conversations. Now that we're being dishonest, but it's not being as forthright or as open to, to change, open to being vulnerable and, and uh, recognizing that we have weak points or we have 
things that could be better. Um, the risk of losing somehow, uh, as opposed to looking for the common win, um, the common improvement. And sometimes we get too binary in our conversations. It either has to be this or that, as opposed to, I like to say, you know, where are there opportunities so that one plus one equals three? Yes. Uh, by virtue of of having those conversations and, and talking together. It's just hard to do when everyone is sitting in their own uh, silo for most of their work week to get out of that and have, have the broader conversation. Yeah. Or again, having the conversation that's not around solving a problem, but instead is looking to how to better address the future. Yeah. There's a certain impatience that people have around a topic that doesn't have an obvious goal in mind. And and as you know, we've been working with your team and teams on how to have people learn to slow down so they can ultimately speed up. And the slowing down is to be able to discover the importance and the power of listening. You know, when you were just describing it's hard I was thinking back on uh, something that I had done a while ago where a president invited to a, a bunch of faculty to talk about online learning for their institution because they had no online learning. And they said, we have to start engaging in this. And the faculty nominated who should go. And unfortunately, the, the faculty came there with a script about, in a certain way, a series of demands. Now. What's interesting about this, I think we make the mistake of disparaging faculty, but there's a, there's a history behind needing to show up in a conversation where they almost show up sometimes in a defensive posture. And that defensive posture comes from feeling like they have not been heard. And one of the things we need to do a better job of is allowing people to express concerns and not have to have an answer or a comeback, but then say, all right, we hear you now. How are we going to move forward together? And, and I think that history, Mike, is what prompts people to say, you know what? I'm not sure it's going to be productive. Every, everything has to be a productive conversation. Uh, it seems to me it's much more important to learn how to allow for a conversation and see what emerges and then we'll discover whether it's productive or not, but not have to prescribe that on the front end. I, I agree. I'm, I would try to redefine the meaning of the word productive. And productive is not just solving that problem or winning a fight or a perceived fight, uh, but is instead uh, advancing an idea, advancing a conversation, doing something positive uh, again, back to the mission, and maybe uh, it's it's planting a seed that will germinate. Now, the other side of this, which is terrible in higher education, and, and noticed in my career is, you know, the fear of failure, uh, and that uh, a typical unwillingness to risk failing on a a germinating idea um, because it might look bad or feel bad. Recognizing that 
in all advancement, we have to try things and fail on them and learn from them to to uh, to advance. But you know, we're we're pretty risk averse, and and that's where uh, we differ from some of the uh, the best uh, corporations out there who who have skunk works that that try out different things. Uh, we need to do more of that. We need to do more of that exploring where we're willing to assess what might be a failure in order to advance uh, the long-term play. And that's strategic. That's back to the, where are, we, where are we trying to be strategic? How many years would you say you've been at this and different roles in higher education? I'm not going to ask your age. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Just short of a number that has a four at the beginning. Very good. All right. So I'm in the I'm in like the you know mid thirties, thirty uh, something years of doing this kind of work in education. One of the things I because I've known you a long time and I've seen this in myself and and I think this is important for people to recognize is that this fear of failure can also be tied to where we are in our careers, right? So for so I, I know from working with younger people younger younger meaning in their 30s and 40s is that they're they're building their identities and in building their identities part of it is is they they want to do it they want to do it not only well but they want to get it right and there's a there's a strong need i think early in our careers to do it right or to not make mistakes or to look like we've got the we should be where we are you know this this fear of the being an imposter and don't you feel in some ways that as we're getting older and we're getting to that point where we've got more limited time to be able to make the kind of impact, there's a certain freedom that you have, I have, and people of in, in our generation have to really go for it. And 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 that to me is where that's where I think the opportunity lives is to give ourselves more freedom to do things to teach others that it's okay to make mistakes, right? You're, you're taking steps in some cases that have never been taken before at Rutgers. So I'm curious if you're noticing this in yourself too, is that when you're looking at the remainder of how much time you have left doing this work, you really want to make an impact in the certain freedom that you're giving yourself. I think that's a very fair statement. And you're having more fun. No, I am having more fun, but I'm, I'm having less fear of failure. Yes. Um, but I, I, I come back to our orientation as an industry. Mm. And I also look at younger generations who haven't grown with that kind of a fear and maybe mm. are more uh, willing and understand the value of, of trying and failing and learning and trying again and failing and learning and then trying and succeeding. And, and we need to look at those members of our community and, and learn from them and say, well, that's, that's right to advance and to not just um, stand still. We, we need to be doing 10 different things of which two are going to work. Um, and, and I think that between where I am in my career, the challenges, but opportunities that I see ahead, 
and also where I see the the younger generations who are coming through our institutions going, I, I think we're in we're in a good place for that. You know, that, that's, a, that's such a great point that that's the, that's the other side of this. So when you're building a career in your early stages, you're, you know that you, you've got this accelerated learning that you're going through. At the same time, you step into these institutions that basically came out of the industrial age and you're, and you're saying, you, and you have the capacity to say, and more and more are saying, why do we do things that way? You know, how do we think about our budget process in a way that really does serve the needs of the academic side of the house so that so that they can take more role in this and they don't have the burden in some ways for from those of us who have been doing this long enough where we we can forget that uh there's an opportunity to question the very structures processes and and and, and the way we're focusing on students in a way that they have that freedom. So that, that you're right. We do have those people out there and, and we need to continue to encourage them to speak up. We do. Absolutely. And I think that um, we, we risk a lot if we don't. Um, we risk that, that unnamed new disruptor for our industry is is gathering steam somewhere, trying out different things, letting some things fail that will come along and and make a real impact in what we do um, or where our our uh, advantage is now and and uh, apply some real uh, real wounds to our industry. I'd like you to talk a little bit about something that you've been uh, working on uh, over the last couple of months is, is how you're convening leadership across the different uh, campuses. And I think this is, a, this is also a testament to your willingness to engage uh, the larger leadership in how, what kinds of things do we share that we want to move forward with. So talk a little bit about that, because I think this is very instructive for those who are in positions, especially if they have multi, multi-campus multi leadership. So we're in an interesting position right now. So we have four chancellor units that, that roughly equate to campuses, um, not necessarily exactly geographically, but they, they, they're four chancellors and they have different areas, the university um, then we have a president. Our, our current president is is retiring. We're in the midst of a search for a new president, and and one of the things that came to mind was: so do we just wait for that next person to come in and and say thou shalt, or do we have some things in mind? Do we have some conversations ahead of time? Do we have some ideas to put on the table? Do we not just have a a, a blank slate? And so through discussion with the, the, my, my immediate team, including the chancellor's CFOs, uh, we, we got to saying, well, what if we bring them together in a safe, quiet, good opportunity, you know, with, with a meal, uh, and just say, well, shouldn't this group talk now and again about the future? Just ask that question. 
we did that. Uh, it was a great experiment. I went into the um, dinner with the idea that um, I'm not going to have any agenda. I'm not going to bring up any specifics, but I am going to say this is a group that doesn't get together enough to talk about the future. Isn't that a thing that we'd like to do? And if so, uh, are we willing to do it again, have another dinner? And the, the outcome of that first dinner was, was quite positive. Yes, we should. Yes, we enjoyed it. Yes, um, we, we would like to do that. In fact, we'd like to do it a few times. So the next one is coming up next week, in fact. And I have a little bit more of an agenda. But the idea is um, that's the academic leadership. Um, we, the, the business officers, are trying to engage them. We're not trying to initiate the conversations, but maybe just prompt them. Yes. And get those promptings to cross-fertilize, maybe, and to say, okay, these are things we should keep talking about, keep looking forward, not, not next year, but two years from now, three years from now. With really the idea that, um, yeah, well, the reality is we can't wait, you know, or else the future will be right in front of us and, and we won't be ready. But also to offer some things to an incoming president that are not just same as usual. Yeah, you you know it's interesting. You could wait, and I think most conversations that we don't have a specific agenda around, we 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 table that. But the, but the problem is, and this is what I think you're you're creating a foundation for, is that when we have a crisis, then we're just in crisis management, and we don't have those relationships. We don't we don't live in each other's shoes. We don't know how to engage with each other because we haven't built that foundational trust. By doing what you're doing and for others to recognize who are those who are those individuals that I in the role that I have and the authority I have to be able to convene, I don't have to have the answers. I mean, this is what I think I, I so appreciate what you're doing, Mike, is that you are you're shifting from we need to be the team or the leadership that has answers because that's what gets thrown at you all the time, to the team that's gonna convene conversations and allow something of value to emerge. And fundamentally, it's to learn that, my God, we want to be more connected with each other. Where do we have shared concerns that traverse our different chancellor units? And they exist, but we need to make the the time to do it. And it doesn't need to start with having the answers about, here are the things we're going to address together. No, allow yourself to come together and uncover where those shared concerns are. And I, I think that's it's such a testament, Mike, to a way that you're attempting to lead into the future and, and help people be in those broader conversations. Well, we certainly do not have the answers. Right. And if anything, yeah. we need to figure right. out what are the questions. That's it right there. That's it right there. We need to figure out what the, what the right questions are that we need to take forward. and. And then we tie it back to, this is really about the thing that you just, at the the top end you talked about, which was at EAB, you got another experience of 
you're in the presence of, of provosts, uh, finance people, administrators, uh, other academics, beginning to learn about how to listen and engage with each other around adult learners, what it means to be thinking about subscriptions. Is that even possible? Can we build a, a, a an auxiliary kind of model or maybe a future model where our alums are not just givers, but they're getting value as learners going forward. And this is slowly getting momentum. You know, the fact that you're bringing this to me is telling me that this is not just an idea that is a pie in the sky. Uh, we're beginning to learn how to talk about those things. And, and what I love is for others listening to this is you're demonstrating bringing this to Rutgers uh, and you're drawing from your learning from other institutions and, and your involvement in associations. Um, so kudos to you. And whether that's the right thing or one of many things it remains to be seen. But uh, if, if we don't look for them, uh, if we don't explore them, if we don't uh, try to say, this is where we need to be in three to five years, then, then uh, reality is sneak up on us and, and then we get tactical and have to pro- solve a problem again. Well, I have to, I have to just point out and let people know that another thing that is a fantastic uh, accomplishment at your end is that you received this past year, and I'm, now I'm going to embarrass you, uh, the KPMG Distinguished Service Award, Eddie Kubo. And as I'm looking at this, someone who has cultivated and embodied a strategic leadership mindset and reflected E. Kubo's core values in fostering a sense of community and collegiality. To me, this is this is pointing something out that you care about deeply, and you had a, I had a chance to read what you shared back. Uh, but say a little bit about what it was for you uh, to be recognized uh, for bringing that to to your work. Well, I mean, it was truly humbling. It, it really was. Um, I've been involved in Nikubo for over twenty five years, um, thanks to. You know, one of my early mentors, who uh, Peyton Fuller from Duke, who had been president of Ikubo back in the 90s, we have a core responsibility to the mission. We're not just handling the, the books. We're not just handling the money. We've spent a lot of time during those 25 years advancing the role of the business officer, even down to developing both at Ikubo and and then subsequently at Nakubo when I was on its board, the importance of developing the business officer as a strategic leader and someone who has to be at the table uh, for these conversations. To then get recognized uh, was just incredibly gratifying and humbling because anything that I did in that organization was um, with a multitude of others who were uh, with me or ahead of me or pushing me, whatever it might be, depending on you know, when it was and where it was, um, but, but that we've advanced. You know, we've really moved uh, the discussion. We've gotten to the point where we're talking about things like we are right here. And that's the importance of these organizations, any of the regional uh, associations, uh, the, the National Association. Uh, that's that's the importance of that. That we 
we come together and, and help each other. We, we advance the missions of our institutions by helping each other and engaging. So that was, that was, uh, it was, it was a tremendous moment for me. I, I can see, cause I've known you for many years, uh, how much you've given uh, to not just, you know, your institution, but to other institutions through this association work, how much you have gotten back. And that's another really important uh, idea to remember for those out there who are looking to grow in their careers is that by getting involved in either this association work or broadening beyond just your core responsibility, you can exponentially grow your capacity to make an impact. So I've seen that in you, and, and I'm sure that you're a strong advocate for people getting involved like that. Very strong. You're always going to get more back than you give. But the more you give, the more you'll get back. And, and it, is, it is so important. It is so important for what is um, an absolutely essential um, industry in, 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 in this country, uh, higher education. We're absolutely essential to the success of this country. Um, so, so we have an opportunity to help that. Well, I want to say uh, thank you again, Mike, for bringing something that is not just what you're working on now with forward-looking, right? Is that stepping outside of the day-to-day of what you oversee because there is, there is like a crisis of the moment, not even crisis of the day that many people are, are, are dealing with. And where you are is a demonstration of really working to step out of that, that way of thinking to make a bigger impact. And I really appreciate the work that you're doing because I think it's inspiring for others. And, and thank you for being on the show now. I think you're, you're probably up there now. I think you're, you, you've hit the five-time award. I think we've, we've done this oh, now five wow. times over the years. We don't want to say how many years we've been doing this, but uh, it's, it's been a pleasure. And thank you again for being on the show. Well, thank you, Howard. Uh, I, I value our work together and, and these conversations and, and conversations spawned by these. Our deepest thanks to Mike Gower for sharing the work he and his team are doing at Rutgers University. For more information, check the show notes in your podcast app or our website. Head to tybelinc.com slash podcast slash 218 for any links or resources mentioned in this show. On behalf of Howard Tybel and Mike Gower, we'll catch you next time right here on Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybel Education.